0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the letter from St. Paul, the early church planter, to a church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the f- light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. On this New Year's Day, help us to look forward with anticipation and excitement, and hope. We also realize we look forward with fear or anxiety. Some of us saying, my goodness, we're starting a new year. I'm still exhausted from the last one. However we find ourselves starting this new year right now, help us to see that you know us and you see us in all our joy and all our sorrow, in all our excitement and all our fear in all of our energy and vitality, in all of our exhaustion and anxiety. And you know us to the depths of our core. And you see all of this and your response is to move toward us in sacrificial self-giving love in the person and work of your son Jesus Christ. And so now we pray as we turn this new year that you would do a new work in our lives and in this world. That you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, Happy New Year. We're turning the page of a calendar. We're also turning the page as we're moving into the season of Christmas. That's right, the season of Christmas. I know that our society moves into the season of Christmas before Thanksgiving now, as the lights and the ornaments and the, you know, all the marketing stuff come out now in November, and then it seems like as soon as it's December 26th, it all goes away, because it doesn't sell a lot of stuff to keep moving on with Christmas in our society. But really, we're in the season of Christmas. In fact, that song, The 12 Days of Christmas, my true love gave to me, those 12 days of Christmas aren't about the 12 days before Christmas, they're about the 12 days after Christmas because that's the Christmas season. And so we have time to ponder and think and apply what it means that the infinite creator of the world became finite. That the one who is all-powerful became vulnerable, even being born as a child in a manger. Furthermore, we don't just ponder it, we apply it. You know, as we were thinking through the birth of Jesus Christ, we were talking the other night about what it was like for Mary and Joseph to be moving through Bethlehem, looking for room at the inn, after inn, after hotel, after motel, after Airbnb, after hostel, after whatever, and the answer was always no. And it kind of forms this cute story if you tell it while you were fully clothed in a warm room with a candle lit and maybe a glass of wine or hot chocolate. And it's like this, this cute story. But if you think about what it was like for her, for Mary, to be nine months pregnant, not in her own town, with no place to sleep on a cold night, it's a very different story. It's terrifying. Or even just the act of childbirth, if you think of it. This beautiful moment where the child's born in the manger. And later the shepherds come. And the magi, the wise men come and all of that. But if you've ever been present for a birth, you will know it is terrifying. And it's joyful. It's terrifyingly joyful. Or it's joyfully terrifying. However you want it. I was reflecting back on the birth of our firstborn son, Benjamin. Benjamin. And I remember going to the birthing classes. I remember preparing and talking to other families who were going through the same thing, their firstborn child. And at the time we lived in San Francisco, there's no shortage of options that you have for input, information of how to have a child well. And so we did all of it. I was reading books all the time. I was interviewing people all the time. We went to the classes. We were practicing. We were pretending with little babies of how to change diapers. We were preparing. And then that day for childbirth came, and I realized nothing prepared me for it. But on that day also, something else happened. I moved from pondering and practicing and preparing and pretending to actually doing. Because now this child had come. Now it was time to put it all into action and apply everything that I had learned. I moved from the conceptual and the anticipatory to the actual and the practical. I entered into that story for which we were preparing. And spoiler alert, nothing prepares you for having a child. There's a lot of on-the-job training. But it moved from up here to something that was every part of my life. Day and night, every minute, every hour, every ounce of my energy entered into the action of bringing a child into this world. And Florence even more so. That's a picture of what it's like to move from Advent to the season of Christmas. Advent was about preparing, watching, and waiting. We talked about ways to do this together in scripture and in prayer. By cultivating lives of generosity and giving by cultivating lives that are both about action, mercy and justice, as well as our words, proclaiming the good news of this king who has come and will come again. And the Christmas season is about applying it, putting it into action. As we have looked the last four weeks at this wreath gathering more and more light, reminding one another that the light of Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. Now, we get specific and think about what it means that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You were created to reflect my light in this world. So let's hold that big idea As we hold the practice of New Year's Day, of thinking through our coming year, think through the type of person you're becoming. And what will be different this year as you choose to become a person of the light, reflecting the light of Christ into this world? That's what's happening in the scripture we just read, where the Apostle Paul is writing to this early church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that may be a lot like San Diego. It was an international city, a diverse multi-ethnic city, a bustling port city, a pluralistic city. It had power, it had prestige, it had image, it had commerce, it had all of these things blending together, and it had this new church, these people who decided that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and because he is the son of God and risen from the dead, they will follow him as the way of life. And so Paul is writing to this group of people. Now, why does it matter to be intentional about living as a person of light in this world? Let's look at that. Let's look at why does it matter, what does it mean, and how do you do it? Okay, first, why does it matter? The whole order of Ephesians actually really encourages me. Because it's all about putting into practice the act of following Jesus and making it real in real time the first three chapters is six chapters long so the first half is all about what happens when you become a christian it uses language like when you accept christ by faith you are saved you are rescued you have an inheritance you have this wealth that you did not earn and maybe you don't deserve but it is bestowed upon you by your heavenly father You have an inheritance. You have a new identity. It says you have a new citizenship. You're still a citizen of the country in which you live. Most of you are probably American citizens, many of you from other countries as well. You're still a citizen of your own home country. And you now have citizenship in the kingdom of God. You have dual citizenship. And the thing is, the citizenship in the kingdom of God actually takes priority and defines you even more than your own home nationality. And paradoxically, as that plays out, it doesn't make you a worse citizen of your own society. It makes you a better citizen of your own society, working for justice and mercy, for love in public, for caring for other people, for really what it is to mean to live out the common good. So Christian friends, the closer you get to Jesus, the better of a citizen you should become in your own society, the better of a neighbor you should become in your own city. That's the calling, to live as the light. And that's just the first three chapters. Then, in the second half, which is where our reading is, Paul talks about what does it mean to live as a Christian. He says things like, you are a beloved child of God. So live like it. Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection has set you free. So don't use your freedom to put on all sorts of constraints or addictions or all those things that enslave you. Live as a free, beloved child of God. Now, of course, all of this is a process. All of this takes growth, which is why it takes six chapters for Paul to go through all of this and a lifetime for us to live it out. But what it means is That Christianity is not just a vitamin supplement boost, just a little something to top off your life that is otherwise going pretty well. No, it's a sweeping revolution of every part of your life. And so Paul gets specific on what it looks like. Now, We're going to get into some really specific ethics here that Paul brings up. We're going to look at them as a case study. But take the bigger picture of what does it look like to organize your life around being a person of light. See, Paul uses the case study in Ephesians chapter 5 of what we might call the three classic ways that, that humans fall off the road into the ditch. Classically, these are known as sex, money, and power. Sex, money, and power are part of everybody's experience, whether you are powerful or powerless, whether you have money or you don't, whether your view on human sexuality goes one particular way or a different particular way, by virtue of being a human being, we all traffic in sex, money, and power. And then it makes its way into things like the names of a rock band or you know themes that we find in the movies that we watch on Netflix. But Paul gives this example in the first verses of chapter 5. And bear with me here, he uses some very, you know, kind of older language, but he talks about, he says, fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you. Okay? So fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you. And before we get into this, let me just say, yes, scripture talks about ethics, morality, how to live your life personally, how to live it publicly. But consider this, it's not constraints that are put on you to make your life less dazzling or less exciting. The same wisdom that created the universe, that created you, also gives us the wisdom and the guidance of scripture for our own good. Which makes sense, if we think about God as a loving parent, think about that. A parent does no favor to their child. If they say, go ahead and play wherever you want, including Interstate 5. Go ahead and eat whatever you want in the house anytime, including all of the cleaning agents under the sink. No, that is bad parenting. That's actually abusive. A good parent will say, there are places for you to play that are great, places that can kill you. There are things that you can eat that are nutritious, and here they are, and things that will kill you. Please stay away from them. So a good parent will actually put constraints on their child out of love. We see this in the same way a fitness trainer at the gym isn't going to say to their client, you know what, go ahead and work out whenever you want, and when you don't feel like it, just don't come in. In fact, when you do come in, just do the exercises you like and stay away from the ones you don't. No, no, not at all, because the trainer knows that then their client will, A, not come back, but B, maybe worse, they'll come back and not grow in healthy ways at all. Or maybe third, we'd consider a doctor who looks at an MRI of a patient and sees a deadly infection and says, there's nothing wrong with you. Go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Just keep up what you're doing. No, not at all. That is not only cruel, that is malpractice and that will kill their patient. And so just consider, as we get into these particularities here, that God, as your loving parent... That Jesus, as your trainer, teaching you to live ways that are fully alive, and the Holy Spirit, that is the good counselor, are all working in one direction to bring you more to life. Or, as Jesus said, and Paul echoed here, you are light. Live in the light, live like it. So, now let's get back to the specifics. Paul presents these two case studies in how we fall off the road of living in the light. And he mentions on one hand, he says any fornication, which is sometimes translated any immorality, any impurity. The Greek word there is is pornēia, from which we get the word pornography. In other words, any way that you're using your body as a playground or other people as a playground, merely for pleasure and not honoring the fact that you and others are created in the image and likeness of God, With that sort of honor and dignity, anytime you're living into these counterfeit ways of dealing with your sexuality and with others, you're falling off the road. But then, so right now, like, half the audience is cheering, those people who really care about that. But he says, well, hold on, because also if you're practicing greed, if you're amassing and hoarding your resources without sharing with other people, If you're advancing yourself, sometimes at the expense of other people, that too has no share in the light that we're talking about. And the point is, these two case studies show how comprehensive a life of following Jesus is. I mean, think about it for a second. And I mean this as no slam on any churches in San Diego. But would you allow me to show you a case study? There are right now, if you do a cursory search of podcasts or website search or whatever of churches in San Diego, there are some who say what the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality is obsolete and needs to be discarded. But what it says about greed, injustice, materialism, and oppression is absolutely right and should be heeded. It needs to be listened to, Okay. There are probably just as many churches in San Diego that put a lot of emphasis on denouncing sexual immorality and making a pretty big show of it, at the same time essentially ignoring what the Bible teaches about greed and the abuse of power and not taking care of the poor. You see, we just pick the parts we like and we leave the other parts to the side, You see this in our political systems as well when you look at the two major parties in our political system in the USA. One says, you cannot legislate the ways I use my body. Keep your laws off of it. Leave sexual ethics out of it. But we should legislate giving money to care for the most needy and impoverished and neglected people in our society. The other party, you already know this, the other party says, actually, we need to focus on the family, and commit to family values, and legislate sexual ethics, but my money is my own business, and so what if I want to keep it all for myself? See we want to fall off on one side or the other. And scripture comes, and Jesus comes and says, I am not from the right or from the left. I'm from above, and I reserve the right to critique all of it because I love you. I care about what you do with your body. I care about how you treat others. I care about individual respect and love among people, and I care about it happening in community and in society, especially among those who most need to cry out for mercy and justice. The wisdom of God comes and says, don't be too narrow. Don't be too short-sighted. You need something more comprehensive. This is not about just a little tweak on the way that you're living and thinking. This is a complete revolution of your life. And it will make you an entirely different citizen of your society altogether because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God first. You will be known as light Scripture knows that we need to counteract the default drive of our heart. And we saw this happen, as you read through the history books, Christians in the early Roman Empire were scandalous. Because in the Roman Empire, where it was very common to say, be promiscuous with your body, give it to whoever you want, but be stingy with your money and keep it to yourself, Christians were the exact opposite. They were stingy with their bodies, giving themselves only to one other person to whom they had made covenantal commitments until death do us part. But they were promiscuous with their money, giving it out freely, generously, and joyfully. And the watching world saw a picture of the kingdom of God. God cares about all of you and therefore cares about all of this the ways that we engage sex, money, and power, and on and on. And so with that in mind, you think, what does it look like to be a person of light? Let's expand it beyond even more boundaries, beyond the classic trio of SMP. Paul uses this word idolatry in verse 5. This wasn't printed for you. He says, be sure this, that anybody who's living these ways doesn't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God because they're engaging in, he says, idolatry. Someone's like, great, so we've already used the word fornication, now we're using the word idolatry. These are not words that I use when I'm outside of a church. I expected the church to take me back about 50 years on my vocabulary. I hear you and I get that. But let's update that idea of idolatry. Idolatry throughout scripture, to have an idol, Sometimes it meant to have a golden calf or some sort of an Asherah pole or other ways that they engage in it. But by and large, idolatry is anything that is more important to you than God in your life. Anything that gives you more meaning in your life than God does. Anything that gives you more of a sense of value and worth and significance. That's your idol. That's your religion. And you can find this, Christian friends, when you're praying. If you say, God, I'll follow you if only you give me blank. If only you give me this job. If only you give me this partner. If only you give me this physical remedy to my health. I will follow you. And when we do that, God is not God. God is a means to an end. What's really important to you is the blank. that's your religion, even if it's a good thing. Even if it's a good thing, children are a blessing from God. They're a difficult blessing from God, but they're a blessing from God. If your children become more important to you than God in your life, then that is your idol. Your career is a gift, but when it supersedes the importance of pursuing a relationship with God in your life, all of a sudden, that has become your true religion your noble social cause or political cause is worthy of being pursued. But when it becomes the nucleus that holds you together, it's not sturdy enough or stable enough and you disintegrate. See, any of these, when they become the center, will eat you alive because they are not sturdy enough or stable enough to hold you. Anything you put in the place of God in your life will ultimately fail you, because it cannot give you what only God can give you. Now, I'll say it again. These are important aspects of your life. I'm not saying, and I think you know me well enough, hopefully. If you're new, welcome. This is a good introduction. I am not saying children don't matter, politics don't matter, mercy and justice doesn't matter, your job doesn't matter. No, not at all. Engage all of them deeply, profoundly, But if you make them the center of your life, they will ultimately fail you, and you will become unraveled. You will become anxious if they don't work out. You will become anxious if they do work out, because then the question is, how long can I hold it together before it falls or fails? You'll become despondent. But conversely, when you can live a life that says, The presence of God in my life, the light of Christ in my life, the pursuit of a relationship with God in my life. A God who would never leave you or forsake you. A God who says, I knitted you together in your mother's womb and I will never abandon you. When I look at you, the word that comes to mind is, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. When that connection becomes your core, now all of these other pursuits can find their rightful place. Instead of demanding that they give you life and meaning and satisfaction, which is a recipe for codependence, you now derive your life and meaning and satisfaction from the only one that can supply it, which is God Himself. And now you can operate into these realms with joy, with perseverance, with a new energy and a new hope, a new resiliency. You see, that's the calling. What would that look like this year when you think through the categories in which you want to grow? Let's get specific. As you look at your life right now, what are you learning about how you spend your time? What are you learning about how you spend your money? What are you learning about the projects that you pursue or the people with whom you spend time? What's at the center of your life? And is it stable enough, sturdy enough, strong enough to hold you through this next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and 10 years after that? And so you're invited to recenter your life in the God who knows you and loves you and reveals God's self to you at Christmas in Jesus Christ lives for you, dies for you, rises from the dead for you, and will never let you go. Friends, that is the only foundation of life that is sturdy enough to hold you through everything. So as you make your New Year's resolutions, I invite you to make it through that lens, with that sort of assurance and confidence and hope, with that sort of calling. And we need to do it together. It has to happen together. You know one of the biggest predictors if someone's going to come through on all their commitments at New Year's or not is if you get more people involved in it. I mean right now gyms are making tons of money on tons of people because they will sell you right now a gym membership for the whole year at half price. Knowing you will only show up for one month. So they're really selling you one month of gym membership for the price of six and they're making lots of money. But you know what changes everything? If that person goes and gets a workout buddy who's going to call them every morning and say, I'll meet you there before work, and then you start showing up because you're doing it together. Keeping each other strong when you're weak, holding each other accountable, challenging each other, laughing together. And in the same way, when Paul is writing all of this to live as children of the light, it's not you live as a child of the light, you singular, it's you plural, plural. Our southern brothers and sisters might say, y'all, y'all live as children of the light. You all do this together. You encourage each other. You challenge each other. You hold each other accountable. You pick each other up. You push each other forward. You bind up each other's wounds. You listen to the difficulties. You bear each other's burdens. You celebrate each other's victories. And as you do that, you have a new energy. Together. This is why at Renew Church we're going to at least double our community groups from one to two. We might quadruple them to four, but the point is to have more space and more opportunity to come together in meaningful ways, to do this together. So please do commit to a community group this year. And As we talk about how to do it, I want to leave you with one thought, that this beautiful image that Paul gives. It says, you are light, live like it. Ephesians teaches us throughout the letter that God says the moment you receive Christ, the moment you believe in him as your savior, the moment you move Christmas from something that's just in your mind to something that just imbues your entire life, you actually take on his identity. You're united with God. You put him on. You're connected to others in that way. And the key is verse 14 at the end of our reading. Everything that is visible becomes light. Therefore it says, sleeper awake, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. But back then, before artificial lighting, you think of something shining, it's probably the sun they're thinking of shining. Or the moon. Those are probably the two biggest ideas of what's shining right now. If it's the day, it's the sun. If it's the night, it's the moon. Think about the difference between the light that comes from the moon versus that of the sun. The light of the moon does not originate with the moon. The moon doesn't make light. The moon is a rock that is orbiting the earth. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The sun, however makes light, creates light. Because the moon reflects the light of the sun, even at nighttime when you can't see the sun, you can still navigate by the light of the moon when it's shining brightly. You can find your way when you're lost. You can find your way home. I think the Apostle Paul is saying, live as light. As Christ shines on you, you reflect the light of God into this world as the moon reflects the light of the sun. And so, friends, our hard work is to receive the light of Christ, to enjoy it, to let it heal us and nourish us, and then to reflect it out into this world. So as you're watching this now, as we're joining in together, I invite you to close with a simple exercise of reflection. Maybe take out a piece of paper and a pen right now, or the, app, the note-taking app on your phone. And just start these prompts of reflection. This is about receiving and reflecting God's light in this world. Four things. I will actively receive God's light in my life by Blake. Actively receive God's light in my life. Maybe it's committing to community, committing to this church, committing to prayer or scripture or generosity What can you do to actively receive God's light? Experience it. Number two, I will actively reflect God's light in my home and my family by blank. Think about your words. Think about your actions. Think about the opportunities around you right now. And it could start with forgiving yourself or getting the healing that you need or facing an addiction that has remained hidden to everybody but yourself, and this is the year you're going to get the help that you need. Maybe you've been so overwhelmed with turmoil in your life, you've never gone to counseling or seen a therapist, and you're saying, I need to help get my thinking healthy so I have something to offer to others. Maybe you need, as they say on the airplane, to put your own oxygen mask on first so that you can help other people. That would be a great step. But what does it look like to reflect God's light in your family in your home? Third, I will actively reflect God's light in my neighborhood. So we've already given you two starters here. Know your neighbor every first Saturday, farmer's market every third Thursday. Two ways to be in your neighborhood as a force for joy and connection in the community. But there are thousands of opportunities you have on all the other days. What does it look like to actively reflect God's light in your neighborhood, in your community? And then third, fourth I mean, I will actively reflect God's light in my workplace. What does it look like for you to be known? Maybe they wouldn't use these words, but to be known as a person of light in your office, or on your team, or on your staff, to be the person that can be counted on, the person that's accessible, trustworthy, the person who reflects light in your workplace. Even if they do or don't know that you're a Christian at this time, people, when they find out, they go, oh, That kind of makes sense. They work like somebody who has a lot of hope. They forgive people as someone who's forgiven. They pour themselves out generously and with integrity, even when nobody's watching. You're living as children of light. And so friends, together, I'm looking forward to this year. I'm looking forward to journeying with you in all of this. All of this is often two steps forward, one step back, but we're on the journey together receiving the light of God and reflecting it into this world. Happy New Year to you. God bless you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would give us the grace to receive your light and reflect it out into this world. Take this invitation now and press it deep down into our bones, into our souls, into our hearts and our minds so we receive the love that you have for us and then we specifically thoughtfully, intentionally reflected out into this world. We pray that you would surprise us by your grace, your love, your power, and your presence in this coming year. Both in the renewed Church community and through it to our neighborhoods, our city, and our world. We pray these things in your name. Amen.